Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This episode is brought to you by Lifetime's Robin Roberts Presents Mahalia. From executive producers Robin Roberts and Linda Berman comes the biopic of the legendary Mahalia Jackson. Grammy Award winner Daniel Brooks stars as the trailblazer whose music moved, inspired, and changed people's hearts. Critics have praised Brooks's transformative performance into the Queen of Gospel as thunderingly good. Directed by Kenny Leon and written by Bettina Jillowa and Todd Kreidler, this Lifetime original movie continues to inspire viewers and highlights the ongoing fight for social justice. Robin Roberts presents Mahalia for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Um, well, Tuso, thank you so much for being on um, the podcast uh, today. Congrats on the show. Um, I know you guys were just discussing it, but I, it, it came out last week. Um, how does it, how do you feel? And, and getting, it's been getting a lot of positive reactions. Like, how's that, how's that been for you? I am truly happy. Um, you know, we finished shooting it in September, but prior to that, we were three days uh three day we we had to shut down production three days before yeah. actually wrapping up shoot i had one more shoot day when we had to stop because of covid and that is what was picked up in september so we'd lived in this world for a very long time and then we had to come to a pause we finished it and then there's this other you know waiting for it to come out right. so i am happy that people can finally see what I mean, every time I say you have to see the show, it's brilliantly put together from production to, to performance. Everybody was absolutely at their best and I am in complete awe of it. But I need to, I feel like I need to recover again because after we finished shooting in September, I saw a therapist to help me debrief from the role. Mm. Now watching it again, I realized that I was feeling the same. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here watching the performance and I'm feeling the exact same emotions that I felt in the moment and it's heavy. So I'm like, Oh snap. I think I need to go see someone again. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think there, we all need therapy during this time. We're all going through yeah. some dark times right now. So I think that's great. That's, that's really, really great. And honestly, Barry Jenkins obviously never, never disappoints. Yeah. Never, never. <laughs> He's a like, as soon as that first video he released out, like, yeah. I don't know how one of yeah. that. Yeah. I think it was the station. It was the station with the huge crowd, which was just so breathtaking. Yes. Yeah. One shot, just one shot. Oh, yeah. 
that man is an auteur. Um, yeah. Anyways, we'll get back to the show. But um, first of all, we like to, uh, during the podcast, we like to get a sense of sort of where you got your love for performing um, and where you sort of found your your aspiration in, in be, being in this crazy business. Um, yeah. You have a woman of color, you know, we know how this business can be very crazy. Um, so for you, was performing always something that you wanted to do? Not as a kid. Um, I fell in love with performance in grade 10, which was age 16. Prior to that, I had resolved within myself that I would be a dermatologist because growing up, I had like all these weird skin allergies. December would come, which is summer in South Africa, and my face would just swell up. I'd have like a swollen lip and I didn't know what it was. So I had to use like special soap. And I was like, you know what? I have the brains to figure this out. And I will set the captives free, you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, so I was convinced that that, that is what I was going to do in university. And so when you get to grade 10, you have to choose the subjects that you feel like will help you qualify to get into your university of choice. And so I did the mathematics, the biology, the physical sciences. And then I had to choose another subject and it was between accounting, fine arts and drama. Hated accounting, didn't think I was strong enough in fine arts. And so I chose drama. And it was in that that I absolutely fell in love with it. We had the opportunity to write our own stuff to devise work, to direct, to you know, produce and perform. And it was in that that I found an escape out of my everyday life, which was, you know, a bit tricky in itself. Um, right. And in a performance that I did at the end of that year, I had such great feedback from the audience, people who were just who poured out their hearts to me as a result of what I offered them, mm-hmm. that I saw that I could use drama as a tool for social change and as a tool for healing. And I sort of just ran with it from there and never looked back. I love that. Um, so like I said, obviously like being in this business is very difficult for anybody, um, yeah. but especially for people that come from marginalized communities. Um, did you ever have, what were some, when you were first getting into this business, what were some of your hopes and, and aspirations when you were transitioning from acting in South Africa to, to acting in the States? So this is my very first project and it was the first audition that I did, but I knew, or at the back of my mind, my, my resolve is nothing comes easily. So you have to, at every turn, do your very best. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was genuinely shocked when I got this role. I won't even lie to you. It was like, okay, that's Hollywood. You know, there are a lot of talented people here. Um, I will probably suffer rejection for a period of time before it makes sense. And I was okay with that. Mm-hmm. All I wanted to do was, you know, perform my best and be in the archives of any of the casting directors. Because um, I had meetings with casting executives and studio executives. And they were actually very open to receiving someone who was foreign, who was Mm -hmm. different, which I was really grateful for. Like with all the meetings that I took, um, obviously the the one, the one question that always came up was, could you, can you use, speak in an American accent? And I was like, you know what? I am willing to put (laughs) (laughs) opportunity, you know? (laughs) And again, my my team would would, would tell me even with, with underground that this that I experienced isn't the the norm. Right. You know, um, 
because of who Barry is as a person, he's a kind and generous and very respectful person. And that kind of filtered down into all departments where you, no one should have to struggle. No one should have to feel like they have to compromise themselves or they have to work that much harder to prove their worth. You are here because you're talented. You're here because you have something to offer and we can all share in this space. And you know, it was, it was a great environment to be in, but my team time and time again will tell me that this is the exception. Yeah, we and I don't take that for granted at all. The rule, it is, it is. It, sadly, it is the exception. And Barry is doing great work and loves seeing what he's doing. But it is yeah. sad that he's, you know, so yeah, what a great experience for your first time. Like, first of all, your first, your first audition in this, and then you work with Barry Jenkins. Like, the universe is like in your favor. You must. The have universe is loving you, girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, and, and, it's an, and it's an Amazon series, uh, a, a part of like an iconic or like the, this acclaimed book. Oh. Uh, but besides that, like, you know, is there someone, you know, when you first came up in acting that you were like looking to to model your career after or who did you look to to kind of be all, oh, I kind of want to be that way. Yeah. Or like, what, what, what was your kind of, who was your guide, I guess you would say in Hollywood? Oh. Again, it's, it's, I've had my journey in this industry as well, even back in South Africa has felt like the exception to the rule. Cause even in my very first project that I was a part of in South Africa, I was the only new face in a cast of veterans, people that mm. I aspired to be like. And so I gleaned from them as much as I mm. could. And like, um, in the, in, in the, in a project that, like I'd say set me apart in South Africa because I was able to earn two international Emmy nominations from that. Um, I worked with another guy who was a veteran that I'd worked with in my very first project. And I said to him, listen, we've worked together before. You know what I have to offer. If you see glimpses of that character in in this in this story, call me out because I'm always mm. trying to, you know, do something different. You're only as good as your last performance. So you need to step out at, at each turn, you know. So um, I had I had that back home, and then just internationally, it's always been you know Viola Davis, you know Denzel yeah. Washington. So I remember it was straight after university, and this is something that I I, I developed at I don't know when, but I would literally be sitting watching a movie, watching Denzel, and he'd give like you know an intense performance. And I would pause the TV and I would just start crying. Mm. And I would pray that, you know what, I, I pray that I would have an opportunity to work with him because I know that I could learn so much from him. And the same is said with, with Viola Davis, where, where it's like, I know that I can never get to that level that they're at, but I can make sure that I work so hard. But also outside of their work, their lives are very private. It's not about the fame or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's about yeah. being true to the craft, to your purpose, to your talent, and then, you know, keeping it moving beyond that. Yeah. Well, you manifested all of that back yeah. in the day. Seriously. It's, you're working with Viola Davis, which is amazing. Congrats on that. We can yeah, talk yeah. about that project later, but. Yeah, yeah it's just, that. I mean, <laughs> manifestation works, guys. Or yeah, not even just yeah. manifestation, just like kind of envisioning yourself in a space. And yeah. like, I, I love what you said about learning from others. It's like, I think that's what makes good people, good people or people yeah. good at their jobs, right? Yeah. It's like, 
you learn from people who came before you and hopefully they can learn from you too in an interesting way you know what I mean um but how and you know you're from South Africa and you know how, how does your own cultural identity and your own experiences and upbringing how does it help inform, you know, I, I know you're just starting here in the States, but even like when you were in South Africa, how did it help drive, you know, your decisions in your career? So I think with my upbringing, um, I was raised by my grandmother. Um, I have an older sister who was an extrovert. I'm the complete opposite. I'm like more introverted than her. I was more of the academic and she was more about the social life. Um, I grew up in what felt like a bubble that was in my head. And, you know, I felt like I needed to work extra hard for stuff that I wanted, whereas my sister could simply ask for them and, you know, she would get it. To the point where my grandmother said to me, you know that you can ask me, right? Like you don't have to negotiate for everything you want. No, but that was just, that, that was just me mentally coming up. But then... In South Africa, there's this huge sense of community, which is something that has been like that I felt like a hundredfold with the Underground Railroad. But there's this huge sense of community where in as much as I felt alone, the reality is I was never alone. There's this, you know, sense of we're supporting you from the background or whatever. And so coming into this and into this space, it's it's that sense of one again i work hard mm-hmm. um it's it's never been in me to take things for granted because because of my upbringing i know that nothing is guaranteed um as it is now in this world my immediate family is my sister and my niece you know so things come things go so you make the most of what you have in the moment mm-hmm. yeah. but also a realization that you don't have to be alone, you, you know? And this was further um, reiterated within the context of the Underground Railroad where everybody there understood the assignment, that understood the, the, you know, the weight of the project. And so they were just there for each other, whether it be physically, emotionally, mentally, from the get-go, it was a case of, don't be afraid to speak out because in this space with what we are creating, you can't afford to die within yourself, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Dropping nuggets of knowledge. <laughs> I, 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 I'm feeling that. <laughs> so I want to talk about the Underground Railroad because, I mean, obviously this is an alternate uh, uh, reality of, of what the actual Underground Railroad was. Um, were, you, were you familiar with Colson's book uh, be- before this or did you just did you dive into it after you got this role? So I found out that it was based on a book the day I met Barry for the first time. Okay. Mm. Um, I had had the first initial audition and I'd had a work session with the, and then after that I had a work session with the casting director, Francine Maisler. Mm. And that evening I was told that the work session was actually a callback and that Barry wanted to meet me the next day. And then in meeting Barry in our conversation where they're like, you don't have to prepare anything. And so you go there, you know, you just like, oh, hi, Barry Jenkins. Oh, <laughs> and then it's like, so did you read the book? And you're like, 
What? what? <laughs> you were like, oh, um, I didn't get the assignment. And they were out of the book. They were out of the book at the bookstore. At all of the bookstores. Yes. Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. Amazon. They were all out. You know, um, and then my manager got me the book. And okay. between having met Barry and the final test shoot, I think I had about two weeks of preparation. And in that time, I read the book like cover to cover twice. Mm. And I was like, Oh snap! Yeah. This is why he was asking me if I'd read the book because right. this is bigger than anything that I could ever understand or make sense of. Yeah. yeah. So when you when you were reading for or when you were learning or studying for Cora, uh, you play Cora Randall in in the series. Uh, when you what kind of research did it did it take? First of all, what did you what did what were your initial thoughts when you sort of read her her story and what everything she goes through? And yeah. what, what sort of research did it take for you to get prepared for this role? So I think my initial thoughts and feelings after I read the book, I felt like, oh my gosh, someone sees me, someone hears me. Because Cora is very layered. She is very complex. Um, she's someone that the book describes as a stray, you know. I see her as someone who is fragile, but very brave, um, who is damaged, but still quite strong. And she is, again, a character who is isolated keeps to herself and a lot happens in her head, right? And these are things that I identify with as two soul myself. Um, she lost her mother at the age of 11 and the book describes her as when that happened, her entire world was drained of color, you mm. know? So Colson wrote the entire thing in a very evocative manner, very powerful manner. And so for me, I lost my mother at the age of four to, the, to a brain tumor. And I, have no, I had no idea of what was happening, but I knew that something shifted. And so going into the world, I went out as this person who holds people at arm's length, who doesn't make any emotional attachments. Like for me, I could be friends with a person and only five years later, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's my friend. Because I had this warped sense of... I, I grow attached to you and then you die and then what, you know? Mm -hmm. And we see that with Cora um, in the book and with her relationship with Caesar, who is someone that she grows really fond of, but she'll never admit it because the one person that she truly loved was her mother, then left her, you know, and her world kind of fell apart from that. And again, the book is set in the 1800s, but again, like you said, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastical realism because... Carlson wasn't trying to write a historical story because it's something that you can draw parallels to even today. Right. And so we come from a place where, and again, it's South Africa, and I think it's the, the black body globally, where people tell you to get over the trauma that your ancestors mm. felt because it was it felt because it was such a long time ago. Right. right. And so when I read the Underground Railroad, I could legit point out thing parallels that were happening in the book that are still happening today. Even when you watch the show, you can go from episode to episode and track out and give examples of stuff that is happening in 2021. And so I felt seen, I felt heard. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's me. I, I want to be a part of that. I would love to be able to tell that story because I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, oh, ooh, that was a long intro, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious. Did they did they teach you guys um, like black history? I don't know what, what the curriculum is in South Africa, but they do they teach you about the Underground Railroad? So the thing is, um, it's 
it's it's it's like the very basics it's it's very it's very much glazed over it's like know. we know of you know it's, it's glazed over here too in america and that's and that's about it i think i only heard time the term underground railroad in in my 20s you know and and i think it was probably over age 25 and that's something that actually um that happened this weekend with my friends, we were watching the show together, and the the two who are in uh, who are in Seattle are actually originally from South Africa. And at the end of it, the one was like completely frozen, and she was like, and she's been in America for over ten years, and she was like, I had no clue what mm. happened to black bodies in America. Mm. So it's that type of thing where you're watching movies, you know, you're watching Hollywood movies, you're watching these right. series, but it's being told from a particular gaze that is serving a particular agenda. Right. And so with preparation, I had a lot to learn, but I, I, I had to unlearn first in order to learn the truth. And Barry would send me material to read. He sent me uh, audio tapes to listen to. I, I I gathered a lot. And for me, it was about tracking chorus emotional mental physical and vocal journey because after having listened to the testimonials of the former enslaved people i realized that there was a lot that i could do with her vocal journey because here i was listening to people who are 75 years and older who sound 16. And that reminded me of, you know, a part of a course that I did in university called voice movement therapy, where it was dissecting what the, what the traumas that the voices hold hold, Mm. and how it affects how you are in the world. And so that for me became a priority in the sense that Cora, again, I've said that she's isolated. She was abandoned. She's experienced extreme traumas not only because of the world that she's birthed into but because of the community that she was birthed into she was gang raped and then rumors are spread about her that she sleeps with animals and all that jazz and so she is someone who hardly ever speaks and so when she does open her mouth what does that sound like Mm. again with the former enslaved people when they spoke they spoke a very broken english Yeah. yeah if if you had to read just the material, I could not make sense of what it is that was transcribed. And I said to Barry, there is a great, what's, um, there's a great chasm between what I've seen on screen and what I'm actually hearing. So how do we find um, a place where I can still stay true to how they sounded without us having to then put subtitles in the show, you know? So it was about breaking how Cora sounds, you know, carrying that labor, carrying that chaos that's in, that's that's in her internally, but oh, and carrying that trauma vocally because she is someone who hardly ever speaks. Mm-hmm. And in episode eight and nine, we get to a point where a character asks her, "Have you told your testimony? Have you shared your testimony?" And she says, "Yeah, I have. I've told it in Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Tennessee." And then they say, "Have you told it in Indiana?" And she says, "Yeah." And they're like, "Are you sure?" And then it's like, has she really? And then at some point she has to stand up and speak to a group of people, which is something that she never would have done. Yeah. And so what does that sound like, having been informed by mm. everything that she's experienced up until that point? Have you Girl. considered doing a PhD dissertation on this? Because... <laughs> No, because like I like how you're you're talking about the weight of trauma in voice, and I yeah, yeah. like even breaking it down to just that this small sort of like element of ourselves. 
you would never think about that, you know, like thinking yeah. about different types of voices. And you talk, you talk about like, you know, taking on the weight of this project. Um, you know, I, I, there's always debate, right? Amongst like, especially black people when it comes to yeah. these slavery narratives. And I'm, I'm sort of on the fence about it. I, I mean, I, I, I think some of them, I'm, I'm all about wanting people to know these stories, like wanting people who maybe don't take the time or don't really know about like how black bodies were treated in America in history. Yeah. I honestly think that it's, it's beneficial for them to see it and to even to see how, how violent and how gruesome it got in, in some yeah. cases. Um, but I'm I'm curious, were you were you sort of was this sort of something that concerned you being a part of this, knowing that there's sort of controversy around these types of narratives? Was that something that that you thought about um, when you were first uh, uh, signing on the project? So um, it was a thought that crossed my mind, but I don't think it was ever a big concern because again, I read the entire book and I fully understood and saw how Colson treated the story. It's not a story that focuses on the brutality or black trauma as because people now call it trauma porn. Right. You know, it wasn't about that. And then working with Bar Barry through the audition process and him explaining how he treats things and then experiencing it on set where he explains it in a sense that we are telling the story of our ancestors and Unfortunately, within their story, there's this part where it is brutal and uncomfortable. And, you know, this this was their lived experience. But they had lives beyond the the brutality. Right. And that story has never been told. He's, he, he explains it as by pretending that it didn't have or saying that we've seen enough of it, you're completely erasing the memory of our ancestors. Yes. And that is not fair. We're, we're doing them a great disservice because we are only here because of them. Right. And so what I really appreciated as well was how Barry treated telling the story or treated those moments of brutality. Right. You know? yeah. and, and this was a discussion between my friends and I where you will watch Underground Railroad. Barry will... will start with, with with the moment that's being set but he always drifts off to the witnesses so that your mm. imagination is, fin is finishing it off mm. it's not about ah how can i show how brutal it was and traumatize the audience or evoke certain emotions in the audience for the sake of it you know it's not it's not necessarily what you're saying but how you're also saying it and yeah. barry was always respectful of that at all times so when we did it i i'm like i know it's a it's it's gonna come up, but it's not what you think it is. Yeah, and you're allowed to not to watch that. That's yeah. you have your own experiences that inform that. I cannot force you to watch it, right. but it's also not fair to then expect everyone else not to watch it because right. you don't want to watch it. And I think you're right. It's key. It depends on how you approach it, right? Like, like you said, your friend came up and told you she's been in this country for ten years and she didn't even know. Exactly. So there's so many people that still need to see these types of stories. And I believe majority of Africa is that way. We have our own preconceived notions yeah. of African Americans. And there's this great divide between yeah. the two where it's yeah. like them versus us. And yeah. we must remember that that is the system at play. Mm. That is what really worked for apartheid South Africa. Apartheid right. means apart. Right. You know, right. They did the divide and conquer thing. And so as long as we're feeding that narrative, 
is there any hope for us? Right. Yeah. Well, that's a great point right there. Right. Yeah. yeah. This episode is brought to you by Lifetime's Robin Roberts Presents Mahalia. From executive producers Robin Roberts and Linda Berman comes the biopic of the legendary Mahalia Jackson. Grammy Award winner Daniel Brooks stars as the trailblazer whose music moved, inspired, and changed people's hearts. Critics have praised Brooks's transformative performance into the Queen of Gospel as thunderingly good. Directed by Kenny Leon and written by Bettina Jillowa and Todd Kreidler, this Lifetime original movie continues to inspire viewers and highlights the ongoing fight for social justice. Robin Roberts presents Mahalia for your Emmy consideration in all categories. I, I really, I mean, I've, I've listened to Barry also talk on like other podcasts and, and like I've read other interviews and I do like what you're saying. And I think what I, I listened to Barry's interview on the Fanti podcast, a shout out to Travell and Jared, <laughs> uh, but, um, and he was talking about filming those very hard to watch scenes, you know, yeah. and said what exactly what you go to the witnesses. And he's like, he always said he never lingered. Yeah. He always got what you needed and then moved on. Yeah. And, and I, I really, yeah. but I think, I don't want to say the violence is needed or whatever, but it's part of the history, right? It's part I think of the history. It, it, yeah. Yeah. No matter even what, no matter what other marginalized communities there, we've yeah. been treated like shit and yeah. y'all yeah. need to see it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's like. Because again, it's, if, if we don't see it, then it's easier for them to tell us to forget about it. Right. Yes. Or it's like, you know, I, it happened so long ago that it doesn't yeah. exist. Like a lot of people are saying racism doesn't exist today. Like it's, it's solved. Happened. Didn't you hear? <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know. Oh my God. Did you get yeah. the press release? I must have missed <laughs> the press release. <laughs> no, yeah. it's like, and then I, I think about, you know, the, the, the slavery narratives and um, like one thing in the, in the Asian community, the Vincent Chin story, which no one knows about, about this guy in Detroit who was murdered by two white men because he, they mistook him for a, a, you know, a different Asian race for taking their jobs and they murdered him. And I didn't learn about that in high school. I'm just yeah. now learning about it now in my forties. And I'm just like, it's like, and all yeah. these stories that we're, we're talking exactly. about with the slavery narratives, we don't know about them. And exactly. It, yeah. It, it, it's, it sucks, but we have to see it. And yeah. I mean, granted, like I'm very, you know, cringy, like I can't watch a lot of violence, but yeah. you know, the way I think Barry handled it was so different. And also this goes to the fact that representation matters behind the camera and in front, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Barry knew exactly how to frame it. He knew that he wasn't going to please everyone, but he knew that he had a point of view. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I think that that comes through with your performance as well yeah. and your PhD dissertation. So <laughs> congratulations, yes. Mberu, PhD. <laughs> um, okay. Um, okay. So before we we wrap up, um, so we already talked about uh, your your being in this the, the next your next film project with Viola Davis, The Woman King, which I'm so excited about. Yes, girl. Congratulations on that. Um, what what other is there anything else you can tell us about that you have coming up or if if not is there something that you haven't done a genre that you haven't tackled yet that you're that you're really wanting to do so with me um 
I am, and I think this is the, the theatrical background in me. I am open to trying almost anything because I want to test myself, to challenge myself, to go to new heights. My, the, my, my team will tell you, when, even when it comes to hair, makeup, wardrobe, they'll go, okay, so do you have anything in mind? And I'll go, surprise me. I want to see, I want to step up and meet you where you are. So, and I was actually thinking about this this morning that, okay, I come from a place where it's like, okay, you can dream about being in Hollywood, but it's not necessarily an attainable dream. Here I am, I'm in Hollywood. Okay, so now we work with Barry Jenkins, you know, they, they say Oscar winning director, all of that. Okay, cool, we've done that. Now I really wanna work with Viola Davis. Okay, you're, about, you're gonna work with Viola Davis. Oh snap, I need to find a new dream. <laughs> I'm legit in that place of, okay, what am I dreaming about next? I don't, I don't know. It wasn't supposed to happen this quickly. Oh my goodness. So, so yeah. I love that, girl. You're in a great position though. Yeah, you are. And I was like, <laughs> just enjoy. I mean, I think practicing kind of, you know, the living in the now and just like enjoying the present, which I've learned, especially during this pandemic. It's, yeah. you know, there wasn't a lot to enjoy sometimes, but you are killing it and, I am going to campaign for you to be Storm in the next X-Men. I always am casting any superhero movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there you go. There, there's a project right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we like to wrap up this uh, session. By the way, this was a great conversation. Yes. Um, but we like to wrap up our interview with the, se the segment we call the facts or the FAQs, the fun random questions. Um, so your first question is, what is the last book you read? Oh lordy! <laughs> things. Um, okay, the one that I can think about would be Amazon's of the Black Sparta. Hmm. Ooh, what's that? It's a history book, like an actual history book, which I'm still trying to get through. Mm -hmm. um, I was reading it in preparation for the for this role for for now. Mm -hmm. It's about the female warriors in the 1800s in Benin. Ooh. Oh, nice! Oh, in preparation Are for the Woman King. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I've read it in conjunction with another fiction fictional book, which I'm seeing the cover of, but I can't remember the title. So I'll just say Amazon Black Sparta. Are you the kind of person who could read multiple books at once? Like you could kind of bounce to one one another? So my problem is that um I read books like I'm watching a series. Unlike mm -hmm. the, you know, for, if it's not historical and I can go chapter to chapter, I'll start a book today, a novel today, and by the end of the day, I would have finished it. Oh, then wow. it, it's so heavy that I feel like, okay, I need weeks off before I start the next one. Because mm -hmm. all the books that I read, all mm -hmm. the, like the one before the one that I'm thinking about, and I'm seeing the cover. Lordy! But yeah, <laughs> I'd read um, Half of a Yellow Sun, which is about the Nigerian massacres that yeah. happened. Yeah. In war. Biafra war. Mm. Biafra war. Yeah. 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 So I, and I feel like, okay, I need a break. That was, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. It takes me forever to read a book. Me too. That's what it takes me forever. <laughs> I can read it over one book. day. One I day. Really, like I'll read it on a plane and I'll forget about it until I get on my the plane again or I travel. Yeah. Well, that's why I like collections of essays and short stories because you're yeah. like kind of like they're like anthologies basically. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're going from something very literary to something very not literary. What is your favorite trash TV that you can watch forever? <laughs> 
trash TV. Just or like, like your guilty something, pleasure. I guess guilty pleasure or just yeah. something fun that kind of you kind of just oh, shut your uh, mind me, off. I think it's, it's, it's anime. Oh. I'm doing different types of anime and it's like, okay, get through it, get through it. Oh no, it feels like a breakup. Cause you know, when you end the, sh when you end the show, it's like, so it feels like someone is broken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's anime, it's cartoons. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Okay. That's not trash. It's good. That's, that's it's good. good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have trash TV. Oh, yeah. I know. You're talking to me and Amanda have trash. Yeah. My manager has a lot of trash TV. I think yeah. always trying to get me into it. And I'm like, I'll get there eventually. I just got my friends into Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, which is yeah, yeah. Is. But it's great That's, though. It's great. Yeah. Um, so when you get a chance and you want some trash, yeah, choose, choose some Real Housewives. Choose a real. Choose anyone, any franchise, any, any, yeah, and start anywhere. Yeah, exactly. I'll try it. I'll try it. I'll try it. Start anywhere, really. Okay. So if there was one TV or film family that you that you would want to live with, who which one would it be? TV film family. This is yeah, this is a hard one. Oh I mean, God. it doesn't even have to be a family. It could be like a group of friends or something like that. Or yeah, I hear you. Um anything like, you know, now this is back in the day, your your the sister sister, yeah. your <laughs> Does that so Raven? Those type of families. Yes, yeah. I wanted to be grew up on. They're so bad. <laughs> yeah, that's what we grew up on. That's what we I mean, grew up on. I would love to be part of the Moesha cast, but I don't like how that show ended because, like, it left us hanging. Yeah, I think yeah. it canceled and they weren't able to end. You know, back in the day, oh, okay. they cancel stuff and not give them. Yeah, like, yeah. Girlfriends. I would live in girl. I think I would do girlfriends. You, but I remember I was watching Girlfriends last year again. First of all, I had no business watching that show as a kid. <laughs> First of all, just put that right, right? out. I was thinking yeah. about it. I watched the show as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> For all this stuff. With adult yeah. situations. Yeah, maybe I just didn't understand it. That's why it like, went over my head or something. Yeah, as a kid, I was like, mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm. but yeah it's good now yeah it's good now <laughs> um, okay so Tuso do you are you more of a saver or a spender I'm a saver 100% okay 100% <laughs> anything that gets my dollars right now are sneakers and I am working on yes, it yes girl <laughs> um, so are you a big sneakerhead or are you do you have like a I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't like calling myself a sneakerhead because I don't I don't like I, I can't say to you in 1995 this yeah, was yeah, yeah. and it yeah. was the design was at 45 degrees, you know? <laughs> That's like ultimate sneaker head. Yeah, but I, I like sneakers. I have a collection of sneakers that I really love. I'm yeah. really starting to like, like I, I went out yesterday and I saw a bunch of girls wearing sneakers and I'm like, I really like this. Like yeah. I, I was wearing sneakers too, but you know, it's like great that we don't have to, like a lot, we're not, we're not, we're shifting from like having to wear heels all the time to yeah. like yeah. Yeah. nice outfits with sneakers. I'm, I'm, I'm into sneakers now. Yeah. I've been like, tr like gravitating because you know how Instagram kind of knows what you're taught thinking, and yeah. then they put those ads on. Like they've been yeah. putting Adidas and Nike stuff <laughs> or Puma. There are like all these cute. There's these like I think they were like this Adidas like Lego version, and I wanted to buy them. They okay. didn't have my size. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But now I get. I feel you on the kind of going into the sneaker culture yeah i think sneakers are, are really really in right now um yeah. and they I, are and they're cute i mean they're cute. When, I'm a, 
you have to and i'm upset i can walk into my closet and just stare at them and then yeah. I, feel, <laughs> and I need to feel better you don't have to suffer every time you go somewhere like i'm i'm all for exactly. it okay would you rather be abducted by aliens for a week but it seems like a year and be with them or be with them for a sorry and be wait with sorry them. <laughs> <laughs> i wrote that wrong sorry yeah you did but it's okay okay so let's let me let me let me start all over again would you rather be abducted by an aliens for a week, but it seems like a year, or live in a haunted house for a year? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's happening with the aliens? Where are they taking me? <laughs> are they gonna feed me? Yeah, I mean, like, it's kind of what you're, I wanna, <laughs> hypothetically, I wanna say it's like, it's like your basic alien abduction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they take you to their land, they, they might experiment on you. They might, but but in like but like give me superpowers type of aliens. They could maybe could like Captain Marvel situation, maybe. See, see that for a week that feels like a year, and then I come back and I'm like, bah, bah. Yeah. <laughs> I can do that. I'm not trying to be in no haunted house for a year. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think I would honestly do the same. Like, I mean, I, I, know, me too. I could, I could, you get used to living with aliens for it, for yeah. week, but it feels like, you know, but it's it like a week. Like and that's also kind of opens your mind. Right? And hopefully experiences. Like, you like aliens that, hey, if you have all this amazing information that the world hasn't unlocked yet. Exactly. So. <laughs> and then maybe. Come back, I'm floating around. Right, exactly. Or maybe like, like you're there on their land. You uh, accidentally take some of their technology, come back to Earth, and you make tons of money off of their yeah, technology. Exactly. <laughs> And I'm, I'm, I'm a hoot. I'm a, you know, I'm a great, I'm a vibe. <laughs> I, I love it. It's the aliens. But it's like, I would like also, very well. Good, good. It's like, but like, you know, you think about the haunted, I, I, haunted house is too real for me. If I'm get, if I'm being Yeah. <laughs> no, I probably go crazy. Hell like, yes. I have a heart attack. Where's the fun in that? A yeah. year has passed. Where is she? She's dead. And <laughs> she's, she's dead. And now she's joining the people haunting the house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so where is the fun in that? Where is the fun okay. in that? See, we could talk about that for hours. Um. Okay. So, uh, to, so our, our, uh, our final question is, is there an underrepresented voice in the industry, whether it's an actor, writer, producer, or creator, or anyone, any talent that is not in the mainstream that you think people need to know about and deserve more recognition by Hollywood. That is not in the mainstream. Or it could be just someone you think is doing okay. the thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna have to give it to Dominic Fishback. <gasps> um, okay. Friend of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so she was in Project Power. And um, she's gonna be in Transformers. Yes. And yes. I also saw that she there's because she's a playwright as well. Yes. And she and Jamie Fox are gonna yeah. yeah. So um, I didn't know about her till this year. She was in Judas and the Black Messiah exactly, as well. Yeah. She's so my age, so it feels like you know our generation yeah. type of situation. And she's doing amazing. And yeah, I think people should look out for her. Both mm. of you guys. Yeah, yeah both of you. Tuso and Dominic doing a buddy road comedy. Ooh, look at me being a manager. Yes. <laughs> that would be amazing to see you guys on screen together, though. Both that, would be, that would be interesting. That would be an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. It, would, it would be you because, it. like, 
Ava's yeah, gonna well, write it or Issa's gonna write it. We'll, well, we'll also, we'll uh, when Dominique can write it, yeah, Dominique can write it. You're right, right. When Dominique was on our podcast, she like she gushed about Regina King. I picture I'm gonna manifest this Dominique Puso. Uh, Dominique writes a screenplay, Regina King directs. There you go. <laughs> Give me Regina any day for anything. I am there. Hello. Yes. Let's put it out there. Come on. Come on. I'm now a manager, guys. Come on. <laughs> oh gosh, so thank you so much for being here today. You are thank you amazing. guys for your time. And like on your show and all the great things that have been happening to you. Just congratulations yeah and just what you do in this show is nothing short of incredible like seriously i'm not just saying that because we you're a guest on the show but (laughs) you like i don't recognize you if that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) which is good which is is really good and Um, i I, I mean, I can't really binge watch Underground Railroad. You I need shouldn't. A <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not done yet. Do not recommend yeah. it at yeah. all. Yeah. Two at max. Two at max a night. That's maybe. what I've yeah. done. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Process. Yeah, walk it out. Yeah. I highly recommend it to anybody. Like I said, congrats and good luck to you. Good Thank luck. You good luck. Thank you, Tuso. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.